Welcome to all of our moms, and I'm not doing a Mother's Day sermon. I'm going to stay with the series that we planned because I also got to thinking about, A, we're in the series, and B, I don't know that I really know much about motherhood. So anyway, <laughs> I, I'm just delighted that your mother, all the mothers are here, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day. Last week, Adam challenged us to take on the role of becoming a disciple with all that we have, with real intentionality and real purpose, even intensity. And today I want to talk about one piece of what it means to be a disciple, one piece that God designed for those who would follow his son, one piece of scripture, and focus that attention on it because it's that important and it's something we typically have forgotten. It's about dwelling with God it's about taking the rest and the risk that we need to dwell with God well. So we'll look at scripture and we'll see what scripture has to say about this thing called the Sabbath. It's a given. It's a given that we live in a very restless culture. I don't know about you, but um, I kind of don't know when we're supposed to stop. I'm, I'm a little neurotic, let me just say that right up front. So at the end of the day and the end of the evening, if my inbox on my email still has stuff I haven't responded to, before anything else, I've got to respond to that. And I feel like the pressures of the day, uh, not only for myself, but for many people I talk to, are just ever increasing. Part of that is because we're on an electronic leash all the time. And part of that is just the pace of the world is ever intensifying. And what we want to learn today about the Sabbath is that it has to be addressed. It's still relevant for God's people. And it's something we've got to pay attention to. So a little history. This concept of the Sabbath, that God worked six days and then took a day off and rested, got immortalized in the Ten Commandments, in the Fourth, fourth Commandment which I'll read in just a moment to refresh our memories. After the resurrection of Jesus, the church, who was primarily composed of, of Jewish people, went against the grain of, of their own teaching and moved the day of the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday in honor of the resurrection of their Lord. It was that big of a deal that they moved that day of rest. So we are not under a legalistic burden that I'm going to give you 15 rules or 20 rules or 30 rules about what you can or cannot do on the Sabbath day, which is now Sunday. We're not going to go there. And we're going to see in a little bit in Mark chapter 2 how Jesus redefined the Sabbath for God's people of our time. But it still is important. It still has a principle. And we are desperately people who still need rest. From Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, we read, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days shall you labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work. The text goes on, but even hearing it almost sounds alien to us. We ask the question, is it still binding? Well, the answer to that is an ambiguous yes and no. The principle's still binding. The particulars are not. But the principle is still very much binding on us. The principle still applies. 
Sabbath, the Hebrew word Shabbat, means cessation or rest. On this Shabbat day, this day of Sunday for us, all sorts of rules and regulations used to exist that are talked about in the Old Testament books of Exodus and Leviticus and Jeremiah and other books of the Old Testament. But the purpose of the day, the purpose of the day was twofold. First, it was to honor God for his work in the creation of the world. And second, the day was designed to give rest to God's people, to give rest for God's people. So let me just bluntly ask you, how rested do you feel? I suspect if I did a one to 10 survey and said 10 was maximum stress and one was you're feeling awfully well at peace, I imagine I would have more people closer to a 10 than a one in this congregation who are gathered today. It's because the pace of our lives is so intense. Bud Wilkinson, the legendary former football coach of Oklahoma football, 50 years ago coined a, a really great truism. He described a football game as 22 men desperately in need of rest, watched by 60,000 people desperately in need of exercise. <laughs> I think he got that just about right. And I think it's true for us that the rhythms of our life, the rhythms of rest and relaxation versus the rhythms of work are off. They've been skewed so far to the place of work 24-7 communication that I think a lot of Christians are really asking themselves, when do I rest? I'm not suggesting it's going to become easy. I'm suggesting we can become rested. And God has a way of making that rest happen. Let me describe for you what the Shabbat was that I experienced when Laurie and I finished up my seminary training in, in Jerusalem. We were there for a few months finishing up. We were in a summer in Jerusalem. What a great experience that was. I'll never forget it. And Jerusalem's a bustling city. Even back 30 years ago, that was, Jerusalem was a bustling place. But we were there in that city, and when the first Shabbat hit, we were living right on Mount Zion, by the way, which is a holy mountain. I always had to make sure I put a cap on my head when I went outside because you had to have your head covered if you were a man. And I remember that first Shabbat and just coming out of our little room and looking over the city, this bustling city of Jerusalem, now about 800,000 people, then a few fewer. But you looked at this bustling city and there would be cars driving and people going places, just like any normal city. But on the Shabbat, on Saturday, on the Jewish Sabbath, that first morning I woke up and looked out and there were no cars. There were no buses. There was no noise. There were no people walking long distances. The rules were the rules. You couldn't work, you couldn't drive, you couldn't ride, you couldn't do anything unless it was an emergency. And you could only walk as far as the nearest synagogue. And the rest of the day, the rest of the time, was designed for family, for worship, for being with the ones you love, and for good food that had been prepared the day before. That's the way Shabbat 
worked. Well, I was kind of young and naive, obviously, and I, I thought, well, back then I was a, um, a runner. And I was trying to run every day, and so I put on my shorts and my little T-shirt and went running through the streets of Jerusalem on the Shabbat. I've never been looked at like I've been looked at. Now, my legs are funny looking, but it wasn't for that reason. It was because I was working on the Sabbath. And these Hasidic Jewish men would be sitting on their benches outside, praying and nodding and reading the scriptures, and they would just stop and look at me. What are you doing? And who are you to be violating the Sabbath? So I kind of figured it out after a while, and I ran back, and I didn't run anymore on Shabbat. But there was something wonderful about that day. Yes, it was legalistic, and yes, there were lots of rules around it, but there was also a sense of great peace. Here were modern people living out the command from Isaiah. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, and here's the key verse, then you will find joy in the Lord. Then you will find joy in the Lord. If there's one concept I hope we take away from this morning, it's that this day of the Lord is meant to be that which provokes joy in and through us. I'm not suggesting a return to the ways of the law, but Jesus had it just right. And I'd like for you to turn to Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. So find your Bibles on your devices that you brought or the Bible underneath your seat, the red Bibles. Turn to Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 23. Jesus, Jesus reconfigures the Sabbath. He, he reorders the Sabbath. And he does so in a brilliant way and in a very sim simple way, but a very brilliant way about what this day is for. From beginning at verse 23, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick up some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful for the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, here's the key verse, here's the key principle of the morning. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now this infuriated the Pharisees, but this is Jesus taking ownership of that which God had designed for our good, for our benefit, for our joy, and for our well-being. This is what this day is for. This verse, this set of verses couldn't be more clear for Christians today. The Sabbath was made for man, not, not us for the Sabbath. 
So the question becomes, what does a Sabbath look like for us? Well, first of all, it's a day of, it's a day of worship. So what would you expect the preacher to say? It's a day of worship. I'm glad you're here. I'm very grateful for that. You're doing what you're first called to do on this, the Lord's day. You're here. We, we're called to do our best to keep life from interrupting us and not observing worship together with the living God. Now, I know, I know from personal experience, and I just know from knowing you, that this is a really hard thing to keep. There are a lot of distractions on Sundays now. Distractions that 50 years ago didn't exist, exist now uh, by the bushel basket full. I mean, there's just a lot of distractions. When Laurie and I were raising our kids, they were all really into sports. And there was a day and time when all that first started that Sunday was kind of a protected day. And then it became Sunday wasn't a protected day. And so Laurie would go to the tournaments and I would work and then I would join him in the afternoon. But, but, but the truth is Sunday was no different than any other day of the week. And it's not that way now. It's, it's not a protected day. So saying no to something to be worshiping with God's people, I'm not going to give you a legalistic rule about that because I don't believe in doing that. But I will say protect and guard your Sabbath as best you can, as best you can. And don't hear the penalty part of it. Hear the joy part of it. There's a built-in joy about being with the people of God. There's a built-in joy about a day of rest. There's a built-in joy about focusing at home on your own family or your friends that you might have over for a meal that you've prepared and just having conversations and just living together life in a sense of well-being and rest and encouragement for one another. I know that that's something that we're missing because I know the pressures of how much we are so driven by all the things of life, and I know you feel this intensely. Some years ago, when I was working for the Covenant Church and was trying to build support for our network of, of world missions projects around the world, I went to Congo, and um, Congo's a rough, rough country to visit, actually. I went to Congo, was in Congo for close to three weeks. Um, I was preaching on Palm Sunday, and that was a fascinating side story because in the morning they start beating on the drums at about six o'clock when the sun comes up. It's right on the equator, so the sun came up at six, it went down right at six. Nothing ever changed. It was always hot, it was always humid, 12 months out of the year. So I'm preaching and, and there's this throng of people, there are actually probably at least 3,000 people, it's the highlight of their week. They come in their Sunday best, which is one tradition the missionaries probably shouldn't have told them that the men wear suits. Anyway, it was 100 degrees and probably 95% humidity. And the Sunday was finally over and I had preached through an interpreter and was so relieved when it was all done. And the president of the Covenant Church in Chicago came up to me and said, Bill, we're gonna have a very special lunch with the pastor of this congregation and we're gonna go to his house. And I said, that's great. And he said, I need to, I need to kind of warn you about something. Um, it's, it's, it's really not polite in our culture to not eat the food that they offer you. 
And I want you to know they've prepared a delicacy for you and for your friend. And um, so it's gonna be monkey meat. And um, you'll just need to eat it. That'll be the polite thing to do. And I gulped and I said, okay, I'll do that. I'll eat monkey. And so we went to their home and it wasn't really a home. This was a hut with a thatched roof. And the couple had gone to all kinds of trouble to make us feel very, very hospitable. And there it was, it didn't look like a monkey. It just was, there was this meat on the plate. And I took my first bite and thought, well, it tastes like chicken. So it was okay. It was okay, and I, I managed to eat monkey meat, but as long as we were in this conversation, I did manage to bring up the question. I said, you know, you don't have any guns. Where I'm from, when people hunt, they have guns. You don't have any weapons to shoot monkeys. How do you get monkey meat? And the pastor just laughed. He laughed, he said, oh, you wanna know how we catch monkeys? I said, yeah, I'd like to know that. And he said, well, here's how we do it. We put a jar in a tree, tie it together with string to a limb, and we stuff a piece of fruit into the jar. Then the monkey comes along, and the monkey puts his little hand in the jar, and it's stuck, because he's grabbed a hold of the fruit, and his hand is in the jar, and the monkey now has a decision to make. The monkey's got a dilemma. If he lets go of the fruit, he can be free. But if he lets go of the fruit, he won't have the fruit. It's a classic dilemma. And so the question for the, the response is obvious. Does the monkey have the fruit or does the fruit have the monkey? Let me say it again. Does the monkey have the fruit or does the fruit have the monkey? Now, I'm going a long way for this illustration, so hang in there with me. <laughs> so I want you to picture your schedule. And I want to ask you an honest question. Does your schedule have you, or do you have your schedule? Because if, if the schedule has you, you obviously haven't let go of something. Does your schedule have you? Or do you have your schedule? I think it's an important concept. And I think it's an important concept because of the lives that we live. Because we are so busy. We are so absolutely busy. Here's the dilemma. Think of your very busy schedule. And again, ask the question, do you have your schedule or does your schedule have you? And what might you change to gain control of your life and create well-being for yourself? Well, here are some ideas about how to do Sabbath, both on a weekly basis and throughout the year. First of all, worship the Lord. Now, again, you would expect me to say that, but first of all, worship the Lord. If you're away on a trip someplace with your family on vacation or you're at a sporting event in some town, it's really fun to actually to go to somebody else's church and just go worship there. Just honor the Lord with your presence as much as you can on the day of the Lord. And second, three, three concepts that come from Rick Warren that I'm borrowing that I find very helpful. 
after you've made Sundays a day of worship and food with friends in a relaxed setting and you've honored that day, third, let me suggest a pattern for how you live. I like Rick Warren's description of this. He says we need to divert daily, divert daily. So every day in the midst of your to-do list and all the stuff you've got to do, just sit back in your chair, take a walk, do something that calms your soul, have a conversation with Jesus and just say, Lord, for just a few minutes today, I really want to just stop what I'm doing and I want to breathe and I want to exhale and I want to just remember what's most important in my life. Divert daily. Find some time every day to spend with God. The second thing is to withdraw weekly. That's the Sabbath. To take this day to be with God's people and then to not only take this day and be with God's people, but, but also just take the afternoon. And if you can, and I realize, you know, not everybody's in the same life stage. If you can, take a nap. Some of you have already started it. Congratulations, you're doing great. It's great, good for you. But rest, take a nap, read a good book, unhook from the television and from your phone for a while, and just rest. And the third thing to do is just, if you can, if you at all can, abandon annually. Go somewhere with your family. Be, be gone from this place. And then do the hardest thing if you can. And I'll tell you, I've had very mixed results with this because my guilt trigger is real sensitive. So if I'm not working and not answering my emails, I really feel it. But if you can abandon annually, even from all those devices that keep you tethered to your job, see if you can talk to your boss or if you are the boss, just do it and say, I'm leaving this behind. I'm gonna put this in the hands of someone else because I need some peace and quiet. I need some space. God has created that for me and God wants me to experience joy in my life, a joy that is hindered by being connected all the time to stuff that really doesn't matter as much as we think. So honoring the Sabbath, find your way to do it, but find your way and don't let, don't let your schedule own you, own it. Would you pray with me? God, we're torn. We, we want to cling to that piece of fruit and we want it, but we can't have it and our freedom too. We know this, but I pray for each person here that they would find their rest in your provision for the joy of your people, that there's plenty of time to work but we're also called to rest. We pray that you'd help us do this through the one who made the Sabbath ours. Amen.